He was said to be the richest man in the world. And those of us who are older, perhaps, remember when the weekly income of some of the oil sheiks ran into the millions of dollars. Are you aware, though, that all of that wealth and all of the present-day wealth that we hear about are, quote, but pennies when compared with the spiritual wealth Christians have in Christ. Paul tells us in our passage of today that we have been given every spiritual blessing in the Lord Jesus. Every blessing of the Holy Spirit has been given to us by the Father if we are in the Son. No blessing has been withheld from us. In the 12 verses of Ephesians 1 under consideration this morning, which, by the way, constitute one long, and someone has said complex, and uh, I will say loaded, one long and loaded sentence in the original Greek, Paul names some of the blessings that make up our vast spiritual wealth. For the knowledge and appreciation of our wealth and for the worship of the God who has given us this wealth, we will look at three of the blessings Paul names in Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. Let us first, though, pray. Heavenly Father, uh, help us to understand, help us to see, help us to rejoice in the riches that we have as your children. But all of that, Heavenly Father, to the praise of your glory and the praise of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit as well. In Jesus' name, amen. The first blessing Paul names for us is found in verses 4 through 6 of Ephesians 1. And that blessing is, we have been chosen by the Father. Notice with me the words of verses 4 through 6 once again. For he, meaning the Father, chose us in him, meaning Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
In love, he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. My friends, we are believers. We are Christians because the Father has chosen us to be so. We, remember, are conceived and born dead in transgressions and sins. We are conceived and born powerless to do anything that is spiritually good. Romans chapter 3 says, there is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. There is no one who does good, not even one. But we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have become Christians because the Father has chosen us and enabled us to be so. In love, before the creation of the world, and in accordance with his good pleasure and will, the Father graciously elected us to be his children. As I've said in the past, I know that this biblical doctrine of election is hard for some, for many, to embrace and rejoice in. Instead of seeing it as the wonderful blessing that it is, many see it as something awful. I read about a young man who had this experience with election while he was attending one of our PCA churches. He said, when I first started to learn reform doctrine, I rebelled against it. It went against much of what I had been taught to believe. The experience was gut-wrenching, and I almost stopped going to my church. But listen, not only does the word of God here in Ephesians 1 say that God has chosen us to be Christians, that God has predestined us to be his children, but in John 15, we read from the lips of our Lord Jesus, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And in 1 Peter 1, we find the words that we are God's elect, ones who have been chosen of God. The entire Bible declares that our salvation begins with God and not with us. We are described as sheep going astray, ever 
going astray. But God in eternity decided to seek us out in time and save us. First of all, Paul tells us in reference to our vast wealth that we have been chosen by the Father. I have a friend by the name of Mike. And a number of years ago, when Mike went on a business trip, he took some reading with him. And the reading was about the doctrine of election. Mike said that one night at the end of his workday, he was sitting up in bed in his hotel room. And as he read, he became convicted of this biblical truth. And he immediately got out of bed and dropped to his knees at the side of his bed. And he worshiped God for choosing him. Have you ever dropped to your knees and worshiped God for choosing you to be his? Oh God, why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there is room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? Do you thank and praise God for this portion of wealth that is yours as a believer. When God does something, he does it with a purpose in mind. Briefly, notice with me from verses 4 through 6 what part of God's purpose was in electing us. A, God chose us to make us holy. I think that means here that God chose us to make us his. Verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy. The word holy carries with it the idea of being set apart being set apart for God. I have told you in the past how in the Old Testament we read about the various items used by the priests in the tabernacle and temple as being holy. That means they were set apart for God, for God and his service. Again then, God chose us, A, to set us apart to be his, to be his special people. First, first Peter, we are a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Once we were not a people, but now we are the people 
of God. We are God's own possession among all the peoples of the earth. That's behind God's election. B, God chose us to make us blameless in his sight. He elected us in order to cleanse us of all our sins, to declare us not guilty before him, and to enable us, enable us to live righteous lives for him. Verse 4 once more, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. I don't know about you, but to me, this aspect of God's electing purpose is truly tremendous. Just think, because God has elected us and enabled us to believe in his son, we are forgiven of all of our sins. We are acquitted of our guilt. We are clothed in Christ's righteousness. And we are able to live lives that honor God. We are new creations. That's tremendous. And how thankful we should be for the election of the Father. And then see, God chose us in order to make us his children. This is in verse 5. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. Dr. John Stott has written, when people ask the speculative question, why God went ahead with the creation, when he knew that it would be followed by the fall, one answer we can tentatively give is, he destined us for a higher dignity than even creation would bestow on us. He intended to make us sons and daughters of his family. And so we read in 1 John 3, verse 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. God has chosen us to be adopted as his sons and daughters. Well, that's enough time, I think, to spend on point one. Uh, let me say again, the first blessing, and it's interesting to me that this is the very first blessing that Paul brings up out of all the blessings he could have put down. The first blessing that Paul names in Ephesians 1 in telling us of our great wealth is 
We have been chosen by the Father. The second blessing of Paul that we will focus on in Ephesians 1 is found in verses 7 through 12 of our passage. And it is, we have been redeemed by the Son. I'll just read once again verse 7 for us. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Someone has said that when we think of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, we should not think of each person of the Godhead working independently of each other. The Bible teaches us, he says, that they work together. They work in unity with one another. However, in this unity, each person has a special ministry to perform. And Paul tells us that in reference to our spiritual riches, most specifically in reference to our salvation, the Son has redeemed us. The Father has chosen us, and the Son has come and redeemed us. To redeem means to deliver by payment of a price, to purchase and set free by paying a price. The picture we should have in our minds is that of a slave. In the Roman Empire, during the time that Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians, there were millions of slaves. More people were enslaved than were free. Millions of people under the control of, who were in bondage to someone else. But a person could come along and purchase a slave and set the slave free. A person could deliver a slave by payment of a price. That's exactly what Christ did for us. The Lord Jesus, through his blood, through his death for us, set us free. He set us free from our bondage to the guilt of our sin. He set us free from our bondage to the just punishment of God. He set us free from our bondage to the power of sin in our lives, the tyranny and power of Satan. He paid the price so that we could be released from all of that, released to be God's, God's children. The Father chose us to be his, and the Son redeemed us to bring that about. I read about a man who 
on his way to work each day would, would pass a farm. And on the farm, there was a horse. And he could see that the horse was being mistreated. He knew enough about horses that he could see that this was happening. The man decided to do something about the horse. He went to the owner. He paid a price for the horse. And he set the horse free from its misery. He set it free to be his. Once again, that's redemption. And that's the second blessing for us to consider from Ephesians 1 this morning. What a wonderful Savior we have. Let me ask you this now. Do you worship Christ for his redemption of you? For paying the price to set you free? Do you worship Christ for giving himself as a ransom for you? What a wonderful Savior we have and how rich we are as believers. There's something else in verses 7 through 12 that I would like you to notice. It's related to the blessing of Christ's death and our redemption. And it's specifically found at the very end of verse 10. Look uh, with me at the very end of verse 10. It reads, uh, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Without trying to say everything that could be said about these words. Let me say this. Ever since sin came into the world, someone has pointed out, things have been falling apart. Sin has separated us from God. Sin has separated us from one another. Sin has been tearing things apart. In Christ, however, through the Son's death on the cross, the Father is going to bring about unity. Most specifically now, the Father is going to bring about unity among the redeemed. He is going to gather together all the redeemed and unite them under Christ. The Father is going to take the Christian living and the Christian dead, the redeemed on earth and the redeemed in heaven, and unite us all in Christ. What I'm trying to get across is another aspect of our wealth as Christians is togetherness with other Christians. You and I, 
You and you. We and they. We who are redeemed are all, through Christ, united to each other. One day perfectly, but even now, we can experience and enjoy a taste of that. We are now one in Christ. Let me make two applications of what I've just said. Do you have a challenge in your life right now? Do you have a need? Do you have a burden? You have brothers and sisters right here who should be ready to help you. We are united. We are part of the same forever family. You have brothers and sisters in Christ who should be ready to help you. And I remind you that the family that I'm talking about now is an eternal family, as over against our earthly family. Number two, have you been apart from other Christians? Have you basically been on your own? Are you at a distance in reference to believers in the church? That's not good, and it's not right. We are to experience this oneness, even now. We are not to forsake the experiencing of one another. Chosen by God the Father, set free by Jesus the Son, and then the last blessing of Paul in our sermon is we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And this is being taken from verses 13 and 14. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In him, when you believed, you were marked with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. In my readings, I have come across four meanings which are attached to this sealing of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you just one of the meanings. The sealing of the Holy Spirit signifies security, or safety. It speaks to us of assurance. It tells us that we will stay God's people, that we will remain God's sons and daughters forever. It says that God guarantees us that he who has begun a good work in us will carry it on to completion. Remember when Christ died and was then buried in the tomb? What did some of the Jewish leaders request of Pilate at that time? They requested 
that our Lord's tomb be made secure. Pilate agreed. And we read in Matthew 27 that a Roman seal was put on the stone and a guard was posted. Paul, third of all this morning, tells us in reference to our spiritual wealth, we whom the Father has chosen and we for whom the Son has died will also be kept secure, sealed by the Holy Spirit. This particular meaning of the sealing of the Holy Spirit is continued by Paul in verse 14 of Ephesians 1. There he writes that the Holy Spirit has been given to Christians as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. In other words, when we became Christians, God gave us the Holy Spirit, and he did so to let us begin experiencing all that is ours in Christ. He did so to let us have a foretaste of our inheritance. And by virtue of the fact that God has given us now a portion of our inheritance in the Holy Spirit, Paul tells us that we are guaranteed that the rest of it will come one of these days. In the reception of the Holy Spirit, we are assured of our inheritance as God's people. When Pat and I bought the house in which we are now living, we made a deposit of money in reference to it. That deposit was the first installment of the purchase price of the house and a guarantee that we would complete the transaction. Just so with the Holy Spirit. In giving the Holy Spirit to us, God is giving us a portion of our future endowment and thereby promising us our final inheritance, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. I asked you earlier, when we considered God's election of us, and then when we considered Christ's redemption of us, do you thank and praise God for this treasure? Let me ask you this now. In light of our being sealed by the Holy Spirit, do you thank and praise God for this blessing? Do you thank God that you are being kept, that you are being spiritually protected? Do you thank God that you are safe in the arms of the Lord Jesus? that you have a foretaste of all that is yours, guaranteeing that you will experience all that is yours. Today, we will celebrate 
the Lord's Supper. As we do, make it a time when you think about and thank and worship God for these riches that you have. In light of today's message, can you think of anything greater with which to come to the Lord's Supper? We have been chosen by God the Father. We have been set free by God the Son, and we are being kept by God the Holy Spirit. At the Lord's table today, let's make it a time when we think about and thank and worship God for these riches that we have. Let's pray. How undeserving we are, Heavenly Father, of what we've just heard. It's amazing that you would give us this wealth in light of who we are, how we have behaved, what we're all about in and of ourselves. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. And we pray that you will help us now to come to the Lord's Supper and worship. In Jesus' name, amen.